fish don't spend a lot of time thinking about water. That's true. Or, I mean, fish don't spend a lot of time thinking about much of anything, you know, tiny little brains. Speak the charm of make charm of make charm. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will rule the world. This is the Arnamancy Podcast, exploring esotericism, tarot, magic, and the occult. I am Reverend Eric. Welcome back to the Arnamancy Podcast. This is Eric Arneson. Today, my guest is Misha Magdalene. Misha is the author of Outside the Charmed Circle, Exploring Gender and Sexuality and Magical Practice, and the similarly named Outside the Charmed Circle blog at Pathios. They're a multi-classed, multi-geek, multi-queer witch and sorcerer with a degree in gender studies and an initiate of the Anderson fairy and Gardnerian Wiccan traditions of witchcraft and a reckless dabbler in grimoireic sorcery. They live on unceded Duwamish territory in the Seattle area with their polymath partner and two adorably destructive black kittens. Thanks for joining me today, Misha. Thank you so much for inviting me, Eric. I have been looking forward to this a lot. After meeting you in person, uh, I've always thought you, you, you come across as such an excellent conversant, conversationalist. Why, thank you. <laughs> that I just know we're probably just going to make a lot of really stupid jokes, but I'm cool with that. Uh, hey, you know, and I'm, I'll, I'll do my best to simulate having a personality. It'll be great. Hey, you know, if we can fool each other, I'm sure we can fool the audience. Fantastic. Okay, great. Um, my first question is, uh, this is totally off topic about what we're going to discuss today, but did I say Anderson Ferry correctly? I assume you did. It's Ferry, F-E-R-I, Ferry. Yep. Yeah, okay. it, it, it's funny. Um, there are actually multiple ways that the word fairy is spelt. Um, the most, probably the most common uh, when talking about the Anderson fairy tradition is the F-E-R-I spelling, though F-A-E-R-Y is also used uh, okay. Okay. by several folks. And the way you spell it is often taken to uh, reflect a certain can't in your practice or way that you practice or a lineage that you're part of but we all come down from victor and cora anderson so okay yeah. cool and that's an initiatic tradition it is indeed cool well uh one of these days i would like to hear more about that but i don't want to talk about that right now fair enough uh i really want to talk about your book outside the charm circle which i just finished reading and i really really enjoyed you know, as somebody who until recently hasn't, um, I guess I probably started thinking about this stuff really seriously as soon as the rest of the internet sort of started exploding about it, but um, gender and sexuality, in particular how it relates to our weird occult shit. Oh, yes. Um, and this book is kind of about that. Can you tell us what led you... <laughs> What horrible events led you down the road to talk about this book? <laughs> well, um, wow. Uh, the, the, the origin story, my trauma that led me to... No. Um, <laughs> so, uh, without going, you know, all the way back into when I was a teenager and blah, 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 and uh, encountered all of this stuff for the first time... 
Well, actually, that is sort of relevant. I started engaging with esoteric spiritual practice with magic and devotional polytheism, paganism, around the same time that I started realizing that my own sexual identity and gendered identity were not um, very much like all of the folks around me in upstate South Carolina in the mid-1980s. And so as I was starting to explore paganism and polytheism and magic, um, I was also looking at the ways that these modes of practice and these ways of being in community with one another dealt with issues of sexuality and gender. And at the time, again, mid-1980s, this was really exciting for me because it was a place where I felt like there was space for me to be who I actually was. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to hide that from the people around me in high school who, you know, would probably have beaten me to a pulp for, you know, coming out as queer. Right. Um, and this was all well and good for a long time. But over time, I started to realize that even in this community that is so accepting and understanding of different walks of life, there's still a lot of gendered and sexual ideas and assumptions that are woven into our practices that I kept sort of bumping into and going, that doesn't seem right. That seems, uh, that that's weird. Why, why do we do that? Why do these tools have a gender? Um, you know. It seems to usually just be based on shape. Right, yeah. right, absolutely. Um, and so I bumped into this stuff a lot and eventually kind of, threw my hands up and stormed off in a bit of a huff. I took a sabbatical from uh, pagan and magical practice for a few years, actually, and came back to it um, with something of an analytical eye. It probably helped that at the time I was in university. I was at the University of Washington uh, working on finishing my degree in, of all things, gender, women, and sexuality studies. And as I was re-engaging with my practice, I turned my queer theory feminist analysis trained eye to a lot of the practices and the cosmology and theology that was woven into a lot of the stuff I was doing. And I said, well, huh, what if we started actually analyzing this stuff, breaking it down and seeing where do these ideas come from and do they actually serve us? Or are these unexamined cultural artifacts that go back to the 14th century or the second century BCE or however far back we want to look? And that was basically the beginning of writing outside the charmed circle. Um, 
in particular, I ran across an essay by a cultural anthropologist and gender theorist named Gail Rubin uh, called Thinking Sex. And in this essay, Gail Rubin coined the concept of the charmed circle and the outer limits. Kind of like if you have a dartboard, there's an inner circle and an outer circle. Mm -hmm. And all the stuff on the inside is the stuff of which society basically approves. So, you know, monogamy, heterosexuality, missionary position sex, um, you know, vanilla sex. And then all of those things have their counterparts in the outer limits. The stuff that's outside the charmed circle. So that would be non-monogamy and not being heterosexual, being bisexual or gay or you know mm-hmm. asexual um you know kinky sex as opposed to vanilla and so on and so forth and when i ran across this framing it really kind of just knocked me back on my heels and then i went huh what if i took this and used it as a lens to look at magical practice and then everything else unfolded from that yeah, that's that's fascinating. I was I the the intersection. <laughs> we're talking about circles, um, but the 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 overlap in concepts between just sort of like the the looking at at gender in paganism. Can we just call every call it all paganism uh, or or whatever <laughs> we want to call it? Uh, but the that that sort of looking at it is sort of like an inner and an outer circle or the charmed circle and the outside of it is is fascinating simply because so many like pagan and occult ideas um, belong to kind of like the school of uh, Western esotericism, which mm-hmm. some scholars of Western Western esotericism have defined as rejected knowledge or even yes. rejected ways of looking at things. And in fact, we deal with it a lot. We deal with sort of this way of um, we have to uh, approach some of the concepts and the ideas that we're dealing with all the time in ways that kind of break the stuff that we're programmed to think about constantly. So in um, in my degree program, uh, I particularly gravitated toward a mode of analysis sometimes called queer theory. And um, in this, we're talking about using the word queer as a verb, as in queering something. Mm-hmm. So um, to queer something is to take an idea, a concept, whatever, and adapt it and subvert it to meet your own needs if, if you, when you we're talking about people who are not part of the overculture, people who are not inside the charmed circle, let's say. So people who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, you know, other folks in the acronym here, um, will take artifacts of mainstream culture and queer them to suit our own needs, to help us express something about our own lived experiences. And the central thesis of the book, which uh, you've read it, so you know, I put it on like the first page, is that um, all of us pagan, polytheist, occultist, magical practitioner types, what we are doing is queering spirituality. Yeah, we are taking a lot of these sort of cast off ideas from mainstream spiritual traditions or um, 
in in some cases taking cast off spiritual traditions that people went no no that 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 doesn't work we're gonna go be presbyterian now and we pick those things up and go no actually this is kind of cool and what if we twisted this and turned it around this way and painted it mauve um we are queering spirituality to meet our own needs and to find ways of expressing our own lived experiences which in many cases do not fit neatly or at all inside the boxes of mainstream mainline religions and spiritual practices yeah yeah i uh yeah that makes a lot of sense so but at the same time at the beginning of your book you know you do talk about how even though that is something that like a lot of pagans and occultists are doing um the gender and sexuality stuff is tough to um, unbake or unembed, and it's it's. I mean, it's it's interesting to watch. It's it's especially interesting to watch as we see sort of this like uh, ultra right wing stuff uh, uh, ooze mm-hmm. into into some forms of paganism, where you get like the the super racists and the the weird Nazi people and stuff uh and it's all the folks who send me death threats yeah yeah yeah, the death threat folks yeah (laughs) yeah you know them (laughs) oh yeah yeah Um, we go way back but it's a strange uh it's a strange reaction it's a strange sort of like uh, no i I, we don't have to go all the way over there yet we we because we can talk about just your your average uh you know joe pagan (laughs) who who might just be sort of like first coming to these concepts or first uh, stumbling upon, you know, their first grimoire, their, you know, their used copy of Mather's Key of Solomon or something like that, where, you know, reality is kind of being broken open for them a little bit, but they aren't forced to look at themselves very carefully because everything that they're looking at is external to it, right? So right. Uh, I guess I... I totally I know this is a weird long ramble but I'm trying to come around to the point where I think that it's a lot harder uh when when we start to be faced with uh you know like ontological cracks that are directly reflected onto ourselves you know yes and when we're talking about gender and sexuality we are talking about concepts that for many people, I I might even go so far as to say most people, are really fundamental to our sense of self, our sense Mm -hmm. of identity, how we define ourselves to ourselves, much less to other people. Oh, yeah. And how we define our, it's it's strongly wrapped up into most people's self-esteem. Like Absolutely. how you are, how you know yourself to be successful in a society might be. Are you a real man? Yeah. How many? Your man card <laughs> has been revoked. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also very much wrapped up in how we relate to and interact with every single person around us in mm-hmm. our culture, in our society. It is hugely influential on our place in that culture. And when you start questioning the tenets of gender or sexuality and their place in a culture or a society, when you start saying, well, wait, why do we have to do things that way? 
people get real nervous real quickly and and understandably so because these are questions that well you know not all that long ago asking these questions would get you thrown in jail yeah yeah okay so then you came into uh the pagan community and became a wiccan and wicca is like or i mean i don't know how it is now but like alexandrian oh you were a gardnerian wicket wicket i was um, well still am technically yeah, yeah but i mean that's like a really heavily gendered tradition that's got the, the male and the female role the god and the goddess sort of thing going on <clears throat> yep. that must have been that must have been uh tough one of the things that um one of the things that led me to uh, explore and eventually become an initiate of the Anderson fairy tradition is that I was very much embedded in uh, Gardnerian Wicca and other forms of British traditional Wicca. You know, this very, you know, very traditional witchcraft kind of Wicca. And it was really gendered and it was really heavily invested in a theology based in a kind of sexual dimorphism and gender binary essentialism. And when I started asking questions about that and kind of poking at it and understand this is as someone who is at this point autonomous and, you know, I can go off and run my own groups and initiate people myself. And I started asking folks who had been in these traditions much longer than I had hey, what's going on here? Why are we so desperately clinging to this idea? What do we do if somebody comes along who's really awesome and an amazing seeker and sincerely devoted to the gods that we want to work with, but they're trans? And the answers that I got back were really disheartening and really... um, depressing frankly um and it basically amounted to well i mean you know people can do whatever they want but uh, you know i wouldn't bring them into my group because well either they're this way or they're that way and if they're this way it's fine and if they're that way it's terrible and i don't know which is which and i mean understand this was in the mid to late 90s so you know there's a context here or actually is early two thousands when that conversation happened, but it was still like, wow. Um, we are a magical and spiritual tradition that is working with the forces of creation in our hands. We are, you know, standing face to face with gods and spirits. And we're getting this flustered over questions about gender and sexuality really um i am i am very happy to report that um many of the british traditions of wicca in particular gardnerian craft with which i'm most familiar um they've done a lot of work in the intervening 15 20 years since i had that conversation and there are a lot of LGBTQ gardenerians out there, and it's 
marvelous and wonderful to see. And there are a lot of cisgender heterosexual gardenarians who are like, yeah, trans people are great. We have trans people in our coven. It's awesome. Yeah, so, that's really good to hear. That is amazing yeah, to hear. Yeah, it's, um, it, it makes me really happy both as a non-binary trans person and as someone who genuinely wants to see these traditions, these ways of working magic and of interacting with the divine uh, flourish. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really great to see them become more inclusive, which is to say more open and honestly engaged with the diversity of lived experience that's out there. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that sounds amazing. And it sounds like uh, it would be the sort of thing where Gardnerian Wicca, if it wasn't able to adapt in that way, would kind of be failing at its own mission. A bit. Yeah. 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 I've seen a lot of pagan traditions and elders of pagan traditions get really mired in this kind of 60s 70s early 80s mentality around well i mean paganism is easy there's a there's a goddess and a god and 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 they do it and and that's magic and there's a point at which you kind of have to go well that's awfully reductive and awfully limited i mean you know, what about a goddess and a goddess? What about a god and a god? What about divine beings that go back and forth or are completely, you know, not gendered? Why does the gender matter? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, sometimes the gender doesn't matter as much as the generation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of the, one of the, uh, sections of your book that I really loved is when you um, you sort of bring up, uh, you, you have a list of uh, uh, deities that don't necessarily follow gender guidelines or are somehow genderqueer or switch genders mm-hmm. or something like that. And I remember sort of coming up to that section, I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be fun. You know, I could think of a couple examples in my head, but it goes on for like 30 pages. <laughs> like you, have, <laughs> maybe not 30, but you have a, you, you, you came up with a ton of really uh, cool stuff, including some fascinating deities I'd never heard of and some examples I hadn't really considered. Um, and it does really, it does really bring to mind a lot of like, um, uh, gendered mythology, you know, uh, a big one in, in, you know, sort of stuff that I do is Kabbalah where you have mm-hmm. this, uh, you have the male and female principle that have to reunite, but right. those male and female principles, like if you look at, if you really look at it, they are, you know, the, the original God, Elohim is is a plural creature that has both masculine and feminine elements in its name and it splits into masculine and feminine elements in order to generate more elements. Let us make man in our own image, male and female. Yeah. Created he them. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um but it's something that isn't uh well I mean again I think that the, that a lot of yeah it's it's just one of those it's it's a hard thing for people to think about if they haven't been presented with it or if they've had you know if gender roles have just been sort of like hammered into us just from the very get-go sure i i having a background in music i think of it sometimes as being analogous to someone who was raised playing classical music Mm -hmm. um and you know something you know playing you know beethoven bach chopin 
suddenly encountering Ornette Coleman or Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. You know, one of these like improvisational free jazz geniuses and just going, what the hell is happening here? <laughs> you know, yeah. or throwing on, uh, you know, throwing on Jimi Hendrix. Are you experienced? And it's like, what is this noise? Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, there, I, I like to think of it as this stuff just opens up so many more exciting possibilities, even for people who aren't queer or don't identify as queer or trans people who are cisgender as the day is long and they're heterosexual, just the existence of these possibilities and the existence of a broader scope for all of this work that we do, I think is really exciting and it's really freeing. You know, you, you mentioned the chapter in the book where I talk about queer divinities. Um, and thank you. It, it's funny because I only barely scratched the surface of mm-hmm. all of the queer gods and beings out there. Um, you know, uh, that could be its own book. And I've said that before and people are like, oh, is that going to be your next book? I'm like, no, no, <laughs> but, but it could be someone's, you know, uh, free idea. Right. No. Somebody out there, maybe, maybe one, somebody who's listening right now, easy dictionary of queer deities i love this idea i would (laughs) pre-order that book i would um you were mentioning kabbalah and the you know the the masculine and feminine principles that are united um a pal of mine annie linson who blogs at major r queerna um which i think is just a amazing name um annie is has a whole series on queering the Kabbalah and how really? the Kabbalah is intrinsically innately queer. Um, I think uh, can let's end this interview really quickly. I'm just going to get a hold of her. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I will tell you, she'll send you back to me for, for a lot of stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I met Annie through um, a mutual friend who was talking with her and Annie was talking about how she was getting ready to teach a class on queering magical practice and queering the Kabbalah. And this friend said, Oh, do you know Misha? Yeah, you should talk to Misha. So I sent Annie a copy of my book and Annie uh, basically was like, we need to be best friends and talk about all the things. And I was like, <laughs> hell yeah, we do. Uh, well, that sounds, that sounds interesting. I'll have to look that up. Uh, I have no idea how to spell it. So I will, get that from you afterwards. Sure. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you wrote this book, uh, aiming at, I mean, it, I guess it, it's, uh, it's a pretty good intro level thing for somebody who's kind of like ignorant of gender studies stuff, such as myself, you know, getting into this book was very easy. Um, your tone is like super conversational, uh, but you also don't talk down to the, to the reader. So you also, you know, when you, when you have to use like your big fancy words you don't really shy away from it you you have a really, university words your university words <laughs> um so i really i really enjoyed that tone where you're sort of like here's a conversation but we're not having a conversation like you're an idiot we're having a conversation like you're still gonna understand me and uh i enjoyed that a lot how, how did you, you how did you invent that particular style of writing so 
Um, I, I've been a lifelong writer, you know, I'm one of those people like, you know, when I was five years old, I was writing stories and poems and whatnot. And I jumped into the blogging world relatively early. Um, I had a, a live journal, if you remember those, in oh, yeah. the <laughs> dark days of 2002. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. There you go. Um, so I've been uh, blogging both just for my own personal expression and as a way of um, writing longer form kind of essay pieces for a while. And in doing that, I developed a particular writing voice that for me was heavily influenced by a lot of the music critics I was reading, people like Lester Bangs, um, who is just amazing and problematic and incendiary and brilliant. Um, and then I went back to school and I got a degree and I was already relatively skilled at formal writing, but I had to learn how to write in academic English. And the book, I started writing it not long after completing my degree in 2017. And I feel like the, the book was essentially me trying to synthesize the academic writing with all the footnotes and the, you know, well, so-and-so in this book says blah, 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 uh, with the fun, conversational, occasionally snarky tone that I developed as a blogger. And I thank you. I really appreciate the, in particular, the comment about uh, me not writing down to people because I am genuinely trying with this book in particular to bring people in, to have this be a sit down where we can say, okay, you want to know more about this stuff. I have knowledge in that area. Let me share that with you. Um, I don't think people are, I don't start out from the position that people are stupid or they're jerks or whatever. If they're coming into the book, I'm assuming they're wanting to know, like, what is all this stuff about? You know, what is what's going on with sexuality and gender and and gay straight trans bi i don't get it but i am a person of good intent and good faith and i want to understand mm -hmm. i don't want to piss people off and offend them and i feel like there are not enough resources in the world where people who have actual lived experience in those spaces can say, hi, I will give you the glossary. I will tell you why people get upset when you use certain words and how you can speak about those issues in an educated way without unintentionally offending or upsetting or pissing off somebody. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was my observation that the pagan and magical communities seemed to need a resource like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to know where to start. You know, I, I think I was telling you ahead of time um, that I got a list of books on sort of like, you know, gender study sort of things uh, from a friend of mine. And it the list was a little intimidating. And I looked at it for a long time. Um, 
before remembering that you'd put this book out. Or maybe I think I found out about your book around the same time and I was like, oh, this one's for this one's for weirdos like me. I'm just going to read this one instead. Uh, and I found it a, a um, I don't know if gentle is the right word, but... Uh, genial? Genial. A friendly, it was a friendly introduction, you know? Uh, because honestly, I was super... And I still am fairly intimidated by a lot of these topics. I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to pretend that I'm some sort of like gender super manager or whatever. Uh, like well, a lot of the, a lot of these are, are very. I still feel like I don't know how to talk about them properly. Um, it can be scary. It can yeah. be scary because we're talking, as I said, we're talking about components of people's identities of their selves. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants, well, okay, very few people want to be the person rolling into a conversation saying, hey, you know what, this thing about yourself that is deeply significant and meaningful and passionate for you, yeah, that's stupid. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, nobody wants to be that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I think one of the things that's that's really interesting, uh, or one of the really helpful things in your book is you have... um, exercises for people to kind of observe their own sexuality, observe their own gender, observe their own sort of perception of these things and how they relate to themselves as themselves, Um, which I suspect most um, sort of like uh, cisgendered heterosexual people never have to worry about, never have to think about, and have never even pondered looking at. Or if they have, it has been fleeting or it has been, you know, like the stereotypical experimental phase in college or something of that nature where the ongoing impact on their own identity or even, you know, even solidifying their own identity has never occurred to them. Right. Well, fish don't spend a lot of time thinking about water. That's true. <laughs> to, to use a metaphor, I mean, fish don't spend a lot of time thinking about much of anything, you know, tiny little mm-hmm. brains. Um, <laughs> cisgender heterosexual people in Western culture live in an environment that was specifically constructed by them for them. Sometimes One of the through thi- violence. <laughs> absolutely yeah. through violence. Um you know, in much the same way that, and I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent here, but in much the same way that white people live in a world constructed by and for white people. Mm -hmm. And so when white people say things like, I don't see race, what they're essentially saying is, I live in a world that is constructed such that I never have to deal with these issues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good, point i think that's that's a really hard one for people to wrap their head around too because folks you know we deal with this a lot in the united states for a number of reasons that i think might make it uh even tougher for us because we're a pretty Mm -hmm. young nation and we're a nation that's sort of built on genocide and we're also a nation that's built on a lot of like really horrific racial oppression and even though we're you know, I think I think as a whole, we're trying to shake it off, but it's really hard because a lot of us now uh, have never been, you know, our ancestors were involved in this, but we weren't directly involved in it. So it's hard for us to accept the fact that we have to 
take responsibility for all the like bullshit evil stuff our ancestors did, especially when we venerate so many of them. One of my favorite angry young post-punk bands, um, the Manic Street Preachers, uh, <laughs> band from Wales, uh, have a song on one of their albums. Uh, it's like a string of letters, no spaces, but if you actually put spaces in to make the words, the title of the song is, If White America Told the Truth for One Day, Its World Would Fall Apart. Oh, God. It really would. It would. Really it would. would. <laughs> it would. Um, I. It, it's funny because... I don't think of myself as being uh, this phenomenal proponent of social justice, uh, in part because I have friends and acquaintances who are amazing activists and uh, you know people who have made social justice their lives. And mm -hmm. I look at them and I'm like, no, I like I'm nowhere near that cool. But at the same time, there's a reason that I talk about living on unceded Duwamish land mm -hmm. in the Seattle area, because I don't ever want to forget that the land my house sits on was stolen from the Duwamish people who are still here. They're still alive. There right. are still Duwamish here in the Seattle area. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually, I think, um, I mean, I've, I've sort of been around issues like this my whole life. Uh, my parents, when I was a kid, my mom um, ran a now chapter and we had, you know, we had um, LGBT. I don't know if there was, I don't know how many letters were in the acronym back then, but, but we had right. friends like that in our, in my parents' social circles and they weren't considered, you know, they weren't treated differently or anything. So I, I wasn't, uh, I think that, that helped a lot. But one thing I didn't realize, and I not until super recently, was um, like how awful Oregon was and still is to its Native American population. Yeah. Oh God, I took a, oh. I took a class a few years ago about how to be a an ally to um, Native American uh, populations in Oregon, and part of it was, oh God, that was. I mean, I, th I think about that a lot. Yeah, I, I totally understand why. I, that's 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 such a depressing topic. I don't think we should. <laughs> Let's change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> so my uh, part of the problem now. <laughs> my partner and I are shotgunning She-Ra on Netflix because we want to watch season five. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll just change the topic hard. Oh, actually, She-Ra is, uh, that's a, sort of an interesting topic because it is kind of, I mean, it sort of has uh, a lot of LGBTQ stuff going on in it. Oh, and yes. Like, every single main character is either female, well, I mean, the good guys, anyhow, they're either female or a really effeminate male, <laughs> which is great. I I love She-Ra unabashedly and unashamedly, but then um, I, you know, I write this blog for Pathios, which is all about gender and sexuality and spirituality and occultism and paganism and pop culture. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people who are aware of my work from a gender studies perspective or a, you know, serious talking about the intersection of gender studies with occultism perspective sometimes are a little nonplussed when they see like stranger things references or my little pony jokes or <laughs> you know when they, when they see stuff like this in my writing and they're just like 
what's going on here? <laughs> don't you take this seriously? I, I take it all seriously. <laughs> um, I don't think there's any virtue in eschewing popular culture um, any more than I think there's um, a, a demerit in embracing things like, you know, grimoric magic and taking it seriously on its own terms. Mm -hmm. I think these are both valid and valuable uh, ways to spend a Sunday afternoon. Oh, I agree. Yeah, you know, one thing that I was, um, that I've been thinking about uh, in terms of like the grimoire stuff, in the Picatrix, uh, which mm -hmm. I assume you're familiar with the Picatrix. Oh, yes. Um, a lot of the planetary, every single one of the planetary uh, prayer sort of frameworks that it has in it has sort of like things you're supposed to do to get ready when you're addressing the pl these planets. And right. um, a lot of them are sort of, uh, cross. there's a lot of cross-dressing. Which is kind of interesting, you know, like when you're yeah. when you're doing a Venus ritual, you dress up like a woman. Um, like Shocking. No what. <laughs> Which I think is kind of uh, it's it's kind of interesting to see, um, because especially since this was an Arabic book, it must have been very uh, very transgressive to have that sort of thing happening. But right. um, it's also interesting to advise other people in doing it. Like you know, they're sort of talking about this, and they're like, "How do I get ready for this ritual?" And I'm like, "Well." Maybe get some lipstick, some yep. nice fingernail polish. <laughs> Make a quick trip out to Ulta. We'll get you set up. It'll be great. <laughs> um, so let's see. So we talked about the gods. We talked about... So let, let's talk a little bit more about some of the um, exercises that you have in the book. Sure. And how... So the book's been out for what, like six months, nine months now? Um, it came out officially January 8th. So coming up oh. on, yeah, so just over five months. Okay, cool. So I'm not doing so badly. I read it. No, I you're great. It. Great. Oh, I was feeling I was feeling like I was taking way too long, but okay. So no, no. have you been hearing back from people who have tried the exercises yet? I have. Um, one of the reviews that I got that made me absolutely do a little happy dance in my chair was um a review from someone who in literally wrote i never do all the exercises in a book i did every single exercise in this book and she wrote about her experience with some of those exercises where she was like you know I had this really profound experience eating an orange in my oh, kitchen yeah. or, you know, doing this one particular ritual that's in the book where I wound up in tears from all of the feelings that it was bringing up for me. And I was just like, wow, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Oh, that is wonderful. Um, yeah. Yeah. People are honestly engaged, like you know, at least I'm seeing responses from people who've honestly been engaging with the exercises, the um, the journaling stuff, the ritual work, and it's really profoundly gratifying because all of the stuff that's in there is meant to be tools for people to use to make their own lives and their own practices mm -hmm. better. To yeah. 
I think one of the things that I really enjoy about a lot of it, you know, so, so the orange, I did the orange one for sure. I, that, and uh, I'm out of oranges now, by the way, so uh, <laughs> I have a lot more free time in my life. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but there's a lot of exercises in there where they sort of start off as, you know, you know, this is a mindfulness exercise. But then what it really gets into is like, you're not just being mindful of, it's deep mindfulness. And sometimes it's, there are exercises in sympathy and empathy and um and it's a fascinating i mean one of the reasons that i think people are actually doing them is most of the exercises are fairly easy and straightforward and they don't take a lot of props you know so it's not um it's not it's not super intense ritual with like magic circles and you know right stuff i mean that. that stuff's in there too yeah if you want that and you know i love doing ritual with all the tools and the bells and smells and all of the stuff. But that is one modality that you can practice magic Mm -hmm. in which one can practice magic. Um, You can have experiences that are equally profound, equally transformative and equally effective, both in the external world and in your interior world, sitting down and shutting up for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Just silent sitting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, it'll be, I, I'm really interested in hearing like reports. I, I mean, I guess the reports are going to come to you and not me, but uh, I just want to know what happens when like more um, systems, gendered heterosexual people try these sorts of things and become more aware of their own self like if it strengthens who they think they are if it breaks who they think they are if it helps them come to terms with things that they don't enjoy thinking about like it's going to be fascinating to see how that pans out especially in the pagan community right um This is something I spent a lot of time thinking about when writing the book and then a lot more time um, in the interim between when I turned the manuscript in uh, and when the book came out, just kind of going, huh, I just handed a whole bunch of tools to a whole bunch of people and some of those folks are going to actually use them. Mm Mm-hmm. And all of these tools really are only for use on yourself. That's how they're designed. How's that going to play out? <laughs> and and <laughs> what I will say is that my sincere, deepest hope is only ever that those tools help people to become more fully themselves. I think you know that's one of the core practices and core goals that that any occultist should be working on anyhow right is absolutely like the process of knowing yourself and understanding yourself like a huge part of that you know it's something that is hinted at so much in 20th century occultism um yeah. you know what was the uh, thing uh, which i can't remember which big chaos magician was saying this but it's something like you know uh, believes oh wasn't it Robert Anton Wilson who's like I try to believe six impossible things before breakfast or something like that oh, where, it was Lewis Carroll was it Lewis Carroll yeah it's from Alice in Wonderland 
Okay, so, I'm so sure you know what? Robert Anton Wilson books. quoted it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, anyhow, there there are there are like practices already out there where where people um, alter their own belief sets or alter their own you know ways of viewing the world around them and stuff. Or even you know if you're doing um, like a contemplative tarot practice where you're taking mm-hmm. yourself on the fool's journey, there's all this like. Um, you know, alchemical gender stuff in there about, yeah. you know, merging different parts of yourself and separating parts of yourself and, you know, facing your shadows and all these sorts of things. Uh, and rarely does any of it focus on our own um, concepts of our own gender and sexuality like your practices do. So it's going to be super weird to see. Well, I mean, I guess it's exciting. You might have broken everything, Misha. I, you know, I'll take that. <laughs> okay. I, I'll, I'll take that hit. Okay. Um, because I genuinely believe, or I wouldn't have written this book, that the only thing knowing ourselves better will do is make our work in the world, whether you capitalize that W or not, better, stronger, more wholesome, more truly in line with... Um, the betterment of the world and the betterment of all oh, yeah. in line with our true will. If we want to go with the Thelemic. Oh yeah. I was actually concept. just thinking that like, how would a Thelemite ever know what their true will was if they didn't know who they were? Bingo. Well, I guess everybody. Well, should yeah, well no, book. no, no. You, that, you, you get it handed down to you. Somebody tells you what your true will is, right? I mean, that's, oh, right. that's sure, how it works. Sure. That makes sense. You know, <laughs> they, they, it, it's, it's on a slip of paper. They put it in a fortune cookie and they, here, eat this. Oh yeah. No. Yeah, no, no, I'm kidding. And on the back, you have your lucky true will numbers. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, this has been a really fascinating conversation. Uh, I know that we could talk about a ton more stuff, but I feel like if we wrap it up here, it will give people extra time to go order your book. Absolutely. So, Which I welcome. I'm going to have a link. There's going to be a link to your book in the show notes. Uh, but also tell people where to find you on the internet. On the internet. You can yeah, find you don't have me to at... Mailing address. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. But again, referring back to the death threats. No, no. <laughs> Vaguely in the Pacific Northwest is about as specific as I like to get. All right. <laughs> um, on the internet, uh, I can be found at mishamagdalene.com. Um, can also find my blog on Patheos at it's patheos.com slash blog slash Misha Magdalene. And then it's the same Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You're just exactly. Misha Magdalene everywhere. I I branded early and hard. <laughs> and it's Misha without a C. M-I-S-H-A. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Just, just like some sort of Russian gangster. Precisely. All right. Yeah, that explains a lot. It, it, right? I mean, you know, uh, anyone reading the book is going to come away going, oh, yeah, Russian mob. Totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. And again, your book is called Outside the Charmed Circle, Exploring Gender and Sexuality and Magical Practice. Yep. Are we supposed to do things when we talk about your book? Like, are we supposed to be like, it's from, who published this? The Wellen, and it's came out in 2020 and all that kind of stuff. Should we talk about how many pages it is? I never know how to do these sorts of things. I I, I don't even know how many pages it is. It's not like I read the thing. It's like um, it's like more than 50 <laughs> and less than a thousand. 
Yeah, it's it's right around 300. It's like 288 pages yeah. or something. It's, you know, five by eight. It's, you know, very comfy, cozy size. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an not easy, at all intimidating. It's an easy size, not intimidating at all. Uh, all right. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, thank you for existing. And also thank you for uh, for coming down to Portland that one time so we could so we could accidentally meet. It was genuinely my pleasure to have done all of those things. Thank you so much, Eric. Hello, podcast listeners. This concludes our 32nd episode of the Arnamancy podcast and the final episode of season one of the Arnamancy podcast. Uh, what this means is that the podcast is going to be taking a break over the summer and will return in September of 2020. And in the meantime, there will be bonus episodes or sort of, you know, bonus content episodes available on the Arnamancy Patreon, which you can find links to in the show notes um, or at patreon.com slash Arnamancy. And if you really miss me and you really want to keep connected, there's um, there's always classes and digital downloads and other bits available at the Arnamancy shop. Uh, I still have a few copies left of a small collection of specialized spreads, which is the tarot spread book that i um that i'm in and just to make sure that you stay up to date make sure that you sign up for the arnamancy newsletter so that you get a notification when uh when new episodes resume and season two starts uh also i am planning to make a trailer for season two and hopefully that will be nice and fun and you should be looking for that sometime in the first half of august Uh, Thank you for all of your support and thank you for sticking with me. I'm really looking forward to continuing this weird podcast journey and uh, I hope to see you all again or fill all of your ear holes again in September. Thank you for listening to the Arnamancy podcast. You can find me online at arnamancy.com where you can schedule a tarot reading or peruse the Arnamancy blog. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. If you like this podcast, support it for just $1 a month through Patreon at patreon.com slash arnamancy.